The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Outpost Podcast, July 23rd, 2018, episode 48. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and as per usual, Nicholas joins me from the Houston Outpost. So, Nick, we have been on the NFL version of Lent, 193 days of fasting, and it will come to an end this Thursday at 2.55 p.m. at St. Vincent's College. What do you think about that? I think that it's better than Christmas and the Super Bowl rolled into one unless the Steelers are in that Super Bowl and they've already won and I'm not having a heart attack. What I'm trying to say is it's the best day of the year to start a football. So this is red meat for Steeler fans. And speaking of red meat, I just got back from a business trip to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I know what you're saying. Really shouldn't a business trip be in Chicago, but no. I work for a company that went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I recommend it for everybody. I had the I had the opportunity to indulge in a very unique dinner last Friday night. I had the choice between bison, which you can get almost anywhere if you just spend enough money, and elk, which was available nowhere else in the United States but Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It was cooked to a delectable medium rare and tastes exactly like steak. That wasn't my only story. I came eye to eye with a 2,700-pound frightening beast, a moose that was right behind my cabin. I was sitting there at my desk, assiduously working on my next day's agenda. When I heard a little splashing in the pond behind me, I turned to look out, and a massive shadow wafted past my sliding glass door as I walked onto the desk deck on my, uh, in my bathrobe. Sorry. It was a 300-count Turkish bathroom. It was a really nice place. And there in the water was the beast, calm, looking me in the eye. I feeling a little safe because we were 12 feet apart, and I was a little higher on my deck. But it was just you and me and the silence of one of the most breathtaking places in America. I mean that literally. So... I spent that evening working on today's podcast because you and I are going to go mana a mana in our prognostications for 2018. If my picks seem off this evening, it's because the oxygen in Jackson Hole, which is at a 6,200-foot elevation, is a little thin, and my metabolism, my metabolism slowed to a sloth-like pace, and my pulse was racing to heart attack levels. So I was a little short of red blood cells, and uh, my thinking may not have been spot on, but I am ready to go, Nicholas. That's beautiful. So, so Bullwinkle spared you. He showed some mercy. You know, How do you know Bullwinkle? You're just a kid. I know, I know Bullwinkle. Rocky as well. You know, 
people are scared of gigantic wild animals because they can maim you and kill you and eat you and all kinds of things. But some are more violent than others. And according to, you know, the, the president of the underground United States of America, Joe Rogan, he talks about moose quite a few times in the podcast. They are cold-blooded killers. A moose will destroy you. He's told some stories and there's some YouTube videos out there that you probably don't want to watch on moose or meese. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if the world would ever be able to settle on the grammatical reference that you need to use for them. But that's crazy. They're almost 3,000 pounds. That's unbelievable. And I'm glad you survived. Be a great running back. I, uh, I had been at Jackson Hole several years ago when I was walking up to the meeting in my head it's before cell phones thinking about the day's meetings and I looked up and that was my, that was actually my first moose. The moose was probably 10 feet tall at the top of his head and he had another seven with his antlers. And it was at that moment I realized hmm. I don't have training for this moment. <laughs> and I looked that elk in the eye or that moose in the eye, panicking inside my chest. And I backed away slowly saying, good moose, good moose, good moose. And I obviously managed to escape with my life. You can nice. call me the moose man, or you can just call me scared. Well, that's what you guys get on this podcast. Uh, you get a little nature, you get a little football, you get a little life. We try to keep it varied for you, but uh, we'll probably get into the red meat, as you were earlier referencing, because we got a ton of headlines today, which is perfect. Today, we're going to start with all of our favorite millennials, Juju Smith-Schuster. Bleacher Report just put out an article in which they ranked Juju the number one social media personality for an athlete, which comes as no surprise. He pretty much burst onto the scene last year, had a couple good games, had a couple touchdowns, antics ensued. We know the celebrations, everything like that. But it was actually an interesting article showing how he's leveraged social media. And he's kind of one of those guys that ESPN loves to talk about saying, you know, quote unquote, living his best life as these you know 35-year-old anchors are trying to incorporate millennial slang into their vernacular. But basically they talk about Juju. They talk about Joel Embiid, the center for the 76ers who has been going out and he'll randomly challenge normal civilians playing street ball out on a court and he'll just go dominate. And there's tons of cell phone videos and looks like he's having a great time. Juju's done the same thing. He got on, he played a game of Fortnite. Super popular video game out there for everybody and anybody who's living under a rock and doesn't know what it is. He played a game with Drake and this dude called Ninja, who's a very famous video game player because we have those now. And I think Travis Scott, another real famous rapper, might have been someone else. But anyways, that was one of the first things he did. And he's uh, he's all over social media. I just did a Pizza Hut commercial with a B that's about to come out. But Long story short, he's built a huge brand on social media that he's been leveraging ever since his season, uh, ever since the season started, and he's been able to monetize it. Um, his dog, his pug, is Twitter verified or Instagram verified, and actually gets paid to do commercials. So much so that he he quote unquote bought his dad Juju a Tesla for Father's Day, which is good. No more bike. No more bike to the stadium. I guess it's a Tesla, but it was a pretty cool article. It was kind of hilarious. Um, Juju is just a child, a talented man child, but it uh, looks like a shrewd businessman too, because he's 
barely even 21 years old or 20 or whatever the heck he is. And he's already leveraged social media better than just about any other professional athlete right now. It was interesting that he was asked what his, uh, who his model was. And I was going to go T.O. because T.O. has been in the news lately. And I figured, you know, there are a lot of going back to Jojo White shoes, a lot of, uh, a lot of players you could look to who, who were uh, big into self-promotion, but he pointed to Odell Beckham Jr. as his model. But that's right. you guys. So, I mean, his, his history, Juju's history is about 18 months long. It's quite a history at that, and let's hope that it keeps getting better. Uh, we'll get more into the football side of Juju a little bit here, but just a, as far as the, looking at T.O. or somebody like that who promoted their brand back in the day, there was no social media. They just did that with antics on the field and some interviews. Juju is actually leveraging social media platforms. He talks specifically about which age groups and which demographics use which social media platform the most. Like YouTube is for really young kids. Snapchat and Instagram are for the kind of 20-year-old crew or the millennials. And then Twitter is a bit of an older crew. So he posts certain content to certain platforms. Like if he's doing some sort of video game thing that's just soaked in millennialism, he doesn't post it to Twitter because he said he knows that it's not going to get as many shares and it's going to get a bunch of comments and kind of hate on it. Whereas if he posts that on YouTube, it's looking more at the audience that is looking for that kind of stuff. So he's being pretty slick about it. And even if it's not rocket science, I mean, this guy, his brand is soaring. His endorsements, if he keeps balling out on the field, as we expect, they're going to go out of the roof. And you got to give him credit because other people are more famous and they're not leveraging it like he is. All credit to Juju. And I do not mean this as a slight, but T.O. did not have the platforms and was able to create a brand. Right. And that's kind of impressive. Of and not that you love him or anything, but it was impressive how we did that. And uh, still on the radar screen because sure. he hates yeah. the NFL. His brand was so good. Look, it Nick perfect football career and made him wait a year to get into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, we can, we can go back and forth on that, but I'm with you. All right. So Nick and I are going to offer our predictions for several categories during this show. And we are going to be accountable because we are saving this and we're going to pull these out when the season ends yep. and we'll see how we did. We're going to tell you how close we were. And by the way, remember you can hit us up with your own prognostications on mm -hmm. Gmail, on Twitter, on our website, which we'll tell you at the end. We'd love to hear what you think, but we're going to get into it right now. So, Nick, you posed a question. Most improved player, let's go one to five, and is your list in order of who you think is most likely to be the most improved player? Yes, Or just your exactly. top five people? No, this is an order. I put this in order of who I think, numbers one through five, who are going to be the guys who step up in 2018 and make that transition from a good player to a great player or, you know, a rookie to a, a very solid contributor or a star to a superstar, something like that. So I got my list right, one so through we're gonna, five. We're going to do point counterpoint. We're going to do one at a time. You offer yours, I'll offer mine. You give yourself, you get 10 seconds to justify your choice. Ready? Go. Number one, Vance McDonald. And the reason why I think Vance McDonald is going to be a huge cog in this Steelers machine is because he showed he could do it last year. It was just an issue of availability. He was a monster when he played, and especially in that last game. He's going to get some more targets now that we know what we have. He's going to get a full training camp, and the Steelers are going to want to feature this guy. He has all the tools. He's faster than Heath, doesn't catch as well, but he blocks and he catches. 
he's going to make a big impact and people aren't talking about him outside of Pittsburgh. That is my argument for my number one pick for most improved player. That will be Juju Smith-Schuster, the man we were just, man, the man we were just talking about for the same reasons. Ooh, he, uh, he did play a full season. He did play a full season, mm-hmm. but he took a little while to get traction, as you would expect from a rookie. I think his trajectory is nothing but up. That's good. We're going to move on to number two from my list. Number two, this is my favorite pick of my list. It's someone that people are sort of sleeping on right now. Number two is defensive tackle or defensive end, I guess, Stefan Tuitt. He's a 3-4 end, so call that what you will. Stefan Tuitt was the guy we were all predicting to have a breakout last year when he signed the big deal. He was showing signs in 2016 that he was ready to break out. And his start to 2017, he was the best player on the Steelers for the first three plays of the season with three, like, with two tackles yeah. for la- loss and that sack. And immediately on that first sack, it was like a 12-yard sack against Kaiser, whoever was starting for the Browns at that time. And then he hurt his arm, and he missed a bunch of weeks. And when he came back, he just he wasn't quite himself. He fought through it like a warrior because we needed him out there. But I think he's healthy. He's got Cam Hayward playing on the other side of him, so that's going to help. And he's obviously been in the defense for a long time. I think Stefan too, is going to solidify this defensive line. My number two is T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt started out with a bang. He uh, he didn't fade, but he sort of went back to equilibrium, which you would expect from from a rookie. He had a, he had a very solid mm-hmm. season, as they say. Second season kind of tells the tale to tale, and uh, I think he's going to move up. I'm at, I am slightly nervous about the switch in positions potentially, or at least from the mm-hmm. right side to the left side. But T.J. Watt has changed positions before and come out on top. Number two, T.J. Watt. Number three for my list, TJ Watt. I, I feel like when I first thought of this list, and I feel like when a lot of people talk about this list, TJ and Juju are kind of the obvious ones, right? Because it's sort of like Vance where they, they showed the ability last year. I mean, obviously Juju much more than TJ. Juju became a, a pretty big stud, whereas TJ had a good start to the year. And he is kind of the guy you circle as, he's the real big one that needs to make the, the jump to become a stud. He's the first round draft pick. The other two guys I mentioned were in my mind, proven veterans who are ready to turn a corner and just had some injury issues. So I think that they'll be ready to hit the ground running week one, but TJ showed that he has all the tools. He looks better as a rookie than the two failures of Bud Dupree and Jarvis Jones. I think TJ is going to look really good going forward. I'm not too worried about him switching sides or anything like that. So my number three is none other than Arthur J. Burns. And the argument is that I think Artie had a solid season last year. And I don't mean that in terms that his name wasn't mentioned a whole lot during the games, as it, as it was in the first season where he was still trying to figure things out. I have a lot of confidence in this year's and uh, Artie this year. I think he's going to be on my list. He's number three for most improved player. All right. Number four for me is a cornerback, just like you said, but not that one. It's the silver bullet, Mike Hilton, number 31, slot corner, best slot corner in the NFL. Maybe not, but dude, this guy came out of nowhere, undrafted. We know the story, sack artist, versatile player, and he was a rookie last year. I didn't see a ton of great things in coverage. It was mostly those splash plays of the sacks, but he did well in coverage. And just the fact that he played like that so young, you got to think he's going to turn the corner this year. I think we're kind of forgetting about him because there are some bigger names like Artie and Davis who are counting on in the secondary to improve. But I think we forget that we have this guy who's a really promising uh, product. 
Number four, you might be a little surprised at this, but speaking of promising products, this guy was a little under the radar screen, but showed up a few times. Cam Sutton. I actually think Cam like came in for Cote Sensabaugh, and I think he, he, held, he held up well, and I'm looking for big things from this season. Boom, Cam Sutton. That's a great one. He's an interesting one because there's not really enough room on the depth chart for him right now with it all sorted out. But all the reports coming out of Pittsburgh is that Tomlin loves him. They drafted him to play. We obviously got Joe Hayden. We didn't know we were going to get Joe Hayden, and we got him. So they're finding a way to get that guy in the field. And if he beats someone out, then that's probably not ideal. But I think they'll find a way to get him on the field. So I'll give you my number five. I agree with you. Artie Burns. He's going to step up this year. I... Artie has been a slow and painful project, and honestly, that's what he looked like coming out of college. Super raw. He came out a year early because he needed to support his family, his brothers, because his mom died. So that's kind of a big reason for him coming out early, right? So it's been brutal with him. It's boom or bust, but there were definitely some moments last year where I saw him do something that no Steelers cornerback has done since Ike a couple years before he retired, and that was really stick on receivers, Hopefully, it's just been a steep learning curve for him, and he's been in the defense for a while. I think he has some confidence now with uh, you know Hayden on the other side, and I do think Artie will play better. I don't think he's going to be a Pro Bowler, but I think he'll be a good corner. So I'm going to. This is my. Uh, this this is a real long shot, but I do have confidence in my pick. Number five, James Conner. I think opportunities will avail themselves, and James will step up, and you will. He has nowhere to go but up, except that he did have a nine yard per carry yeah. average last year. That's going to be a little tough to beat, but he will have more carries. I think he'll have some opportunities this season. Sure that. So, do you want to read through your That's list? That's it. We got one through five. Case, in case somebody wasn't yeah. writing it down. So, here's my list numbers one through five. One, Vance McDonald. Two, defensive end Stefan Tuitt. Three, outside linebacker slash edge T.J. Watt, younger brother of perhaps one of the two greatest defensive players in the history of football. Number four, the silver bullet Mike Hilton at slot corner. And number five, Artie Burns, who let me also put an asterisk next to this. He will give up at least two 50-yard touchdowns, but I think he's actually maybe going to make some picks this year. But Artie Burns, that's my number five. My number one is the Juju Smith-Schuster, number one social media personality in the NFL. Uh, TJ Watt, Woo. Arthur J. Burns, Cam Sutton, and Jimmy Connor. So you had some uh, notes down here, Nick. Anything you wanted to mention as we roll through here? Yeah, because... I just wanted to add a couple a couple things to some people who I, who I, I wanted to explain why I left them off real quick. Juju's the big one because he's kind of the first one you think of. He's the exciting one. It's like when we had Martavis and you didn't think you were going to have this star on your hands, and you realize you do have one. So I obviously think he's going to improve. I just think he had a great season last year, and some of these guys on my list didn't have really notable seasons, and I think they're going to have notable seasons. I think Juju will improve, but he does have to deal with a lot more attention and double teams since he is going to be the number two instead of the number three now. Um, I also, just regarding... Bud Dupree and Sean Davis, those guys have huge targets on their back. We need them to improve this year. Davis has nowhere to go but up. I mean, when he was bad when he was bad last year. He was the, probably the worst player in the defense at certain times besides Sean Spence. But when we've seen him flash before, um, I just I think these other guys um, have a 
I just saw a little bit more from them where I don't feel like they're sort of starting from ground zero. I also worry about the whole free safety, strong safety thing, but I do think he'll improve. With Bud, I think we have what we have. We've talked about Bud enough times. I think he can be serviceable, but this guy's not going to break out. You can't teach us, like, coordination, and he just doesn't really have it. Uh, I did put James Conner. I agree with you. I think one year of experience will have done him a world of good. They say the most difficult thing for a college running back to adjust to in the NFL is pass blocking. He was miserable with that last year, but he's a smart dude, so I think he'll adjust. And then he has all the the physical tools. And then my X factor, who I really wanted to put on this list, but I didn't, is the X-Man, Xavier Grimble. Nice. You know, we've been waiting for him. People have said this for the past two years in a row because his big catches are so flashy, but he just always seemed to let us down at a certain point. But he made a huge stride forward in blocking last year at the end of the year, and they started putting him in as the second or third tight end in a lot of situations, and he put some good tape out there. We already know that he can make some great catches. If he could beat Jesse James out and get in a rhythm, that guy's got an athleticism like a mini Ladarius Green. Maybe not quite that much, but... I'm not quite comfortable to say he's going to be contributing a lot, but he has a chance. All right, so let's move into our second category, which is Rookie of the Year. You first. So I think, do you have a pick for these guys, or is it just me? I don't know if you finished. I do you have did a all pick. of these. No, no, I went all the way through. Okay, I love it. Well, we spent a little we spent a bunch of time on that first topic, so we'll probably just roll through this. I'm going to tell you right now, the Rookie of the Year – better be James Washington, our receiver. We drafted him and traded Martavis basically saying, hey, this guy's going to be our third receiver because I better not see Darius Hayward Bay or Justin Hunter on the field as a third receiver. Um, James Washington has all the tools. Like we said, even Juju took about six games to get in the flow of things, but this guy's going to be thrust in there pretty immediately. And uh, just the other rookies don't have a lot of – Opportunities. I mean, the, the other guys aren't penciled in any starters, so almost by default. Yeah, if we were if, if we were betting on, exactly, they're not kind of the opportunities. Except, I do. I would bet on James Washington, but my dark horse pick for Rookie of the Year is Quadri Henderson. Wow! Return man out of the University of Pittsburgh, my alma mater. Seven career return touchdowns. It's sophomore year led the FBS with total return yardage, and he's the all-time leader in career returns with seven at Pitt. So just to make it a little bit interesting, he'll also, I think he'll also make the team and he'll have an opportunity to shine. That's a great pick. You know, they usually don't love picking it. He's just a kick returner. He can't play wide receiver. He even basically admitted that himself, which I thought was a bold strategy, but he could be like a Stefan Logan who we used to have, who was a tiny jitterbug who had a great year. It might've been, Mike Tomlin's first year. And then we immediately lost him, I believe, to the Lions. But this has been so miserable with returning recently. I don't know if these new kickoff rules are going to make more or less returns. But uh, if he can return punts too, I mean, it's been such a disaster the past few years. He can make a great impact. I, I love that pick. So to, to counter my argument, I just read the, his weaknesses on Pro Football Focuses. He's a gadget player. Oh. He has small. He has yeah. small hands. He's not and five times, <laughs> and he only had catch it, seventeen catches last year. Anyway, we'll keep it interesting. Well, that's why. That's why I compared him to Stephon Logan. Like he's not yeah. playing wide receiver. It's not. I'm still upset that the Steelers let Demarcus Ayers go. Like we still have Justin Tucker on the team, but we don't have Demarcus Ayers, who flashed pretty awesome and was a great returner in his own right. But I digress. Yeah, I like that. You want to move on to the next topic? 
We are. This topic is Diamond in the Rough. Diamond in the Rough. Uh, this one's predictable. I think the writing's on the wall for this guy, but Marcus Tucker, a.k.a. Eli Rogers 2.0, or at least, you know, 0.5. I don't know. I'm not going to say he's quite Eli Rogers. Eli burst on the scene as an undrafted rookie and uh, had a great training camp. And people were penciling him in to make the team. Then he got hurt, of course. The Steelers kept him for the next year, and he became a starter his next year. So this guy hasn't had quite that trajectory. But Marcus Tucker has a lot of similarities in the quickness and the body type of Eli Rogers. He's been a beast in preseason. I think this playmaker finally makes the team, especially since we got a curveball this week. And Eli Rogers looks like he's going to try and join another team after he's been working out with the Steelers. Even though he wasn't technically on the Steelers, he was working out with them all offseason. And, uh, man, I think that's a blow that he's trying to go to other teams. He visited Kansas City, he's visiting Cleveland, a bunch of people. But we've talked about it before. We got the same offense coming back from last year, minus two crucial depth pieces. Well, actually three. If you lose Martavis and Eli, man, your receivers are looking thin. And I love Eli because I think he's actually a, a starting quality slot guy who also is familiar with the offense. So if James Washington goes down, you know, who are we going to put in there? We'd love to have him. But Marcus Tucker, he could be that guy. My first diamond in the rough is Dirty Red, Tyler Matakiewicz. He is going to have an opportunity, and I think he's going to surprise everybody. Well, the Steelers coaches certainly do. They love him. They're penciling him as the starter. So let's hope he does. Can I talk about my other diamonds in the rough as I went through the, the current sure, roster? Sure, yeah, I only picked one of them, but I've got a couple of Chuck them Chuck Okorafor. I think the Steelers' offensive line has been lucky for the last three years. Three years? But remember before that, you could just count Super on lucky. somebody going down, yep. two guys going down. It's just, it's just yep. possible that it's time that we're going to need somebody to step up into a gap. Chuck Okorafor is that man. I will also, well, I don't know. Uh, they talked about him being a project, being somebody who's not going to be ready right away. They were counting on being able to develop him, but then Gerald Hawkins got a season-ending injury in OTAs or whatever. So I, I love him as a prospect because apparently he's a physical freak, and if you put him with the best offensive line coach in the league, that's perfect. It's like if you draft an offensive lineman or a, a receiver, you know, before Richard Mann retired as the Steelers receivers coach – you know you were going to develop that guy. Whereas with the Steelers, if you draft an outside linebacker, he's going to suck because Joey Porter can't coach anybody up. You can't teach talent. But uh, So I don't know about Chucks as, as a diamond in the rough for this year, but that will be awesome. Yeah, that's why he's a diamond in the rough. That's exactly why he's in this category. He's perfect for this. All right. All right. We're, vi- we're revisiting this episode at the end of the year. Our next category is there's smoke but no fire. Go. So this is basically around the concept of uh, a player who people are hyping up or who we think is going to have a good season, either coaches or media or just the hopes and dreams of Steelers fans are like, this guy's going to turn the corner, but he's not. So let me tell you, number one is Bud. Okay. Like I said, I think Bud can be a serviceable starter where he's just a guy who you have in there. Um, who maybe could hold down the run game a little bit. And if you get some real pressure from Cam and Steph and some of these uh, um, blitzes that they throw at them, you could be okay. But this dude isn't turning – like, you can't teach Sammy Coates how to catch, right? Or or Darius Hayward Bay. You're not going to teach this guy to become, 
like a versatile athlete. He's just kind of a physical freak who's big, strong, and can run fast. But you can't turn him how to turn, teach him how to turn good. It's not going to happen. So that's my number one. The second one is Justin Hunter. I mean, Tomlin says he expects a big year out of Justin Hunter. Uh, it's not going to happen. He's not good. He's never been good. There's no reason to believe he'll be good. Three is Jalen Samuels. What was he, fourth or fifth round? A Swiss Army knife, the uh, the bad version of Le'Veon Bell. We're really excited mm-hmm. about this guy because he's slow and he catches a lot of touchdowns in college. Maybe I'm just a hater because I'm still a little bit sore that the Steelers didn't draft two of the best well-rounded running backs we've seen come out and, and really in a very long time. I mean, Sony Michelle and especially Darius Geis out of LSU. I thought they had an opportunity. Either they didn't care or they truly thought they were somehow going to get Le'Veon to agree to this deal, which seems ridiculous because apparently they weren't even close, right? But Jalen Samuels, I just, I don't know why you would ever put him in unless there was an injury, which hopefully there's not for Le'Veon. But if you want someone to catch a pass, I want Le'Veon to do it, not this guy. Yeah, I think the excitement, I think he was a bit of a weird draft pick, but... And then the other one, I'm sorry to say, you called him a diamond in the rough, but Tyler Matikiewicz. Uh, he's a tackling machine as long as the guy is five yards past the line of scrimmage, but he just has too many physical limitations for me. I think that he could be okay, but against some good teams, he could get exposed just because there's not that much he can do physically. Why would you put you him in a category? Him. There's no smoke. There's no smoke. He's just plugging By in the a hole coaches, right now. There is. The Steelers coaches have been defending him all offseason, saying that he was hurt. We think really highly of him, so much that we drafted him in the sixth or seventh round. And um, I love Matikiewicz. He's one of our favorites. He's our new guy, right? He's our new Kreider. And when he goes in, he's around the ball. And he's obviously a super smart player. I just think at a certain point, it's like lining up, you know, Willie Gay a couple years ago against Martavis Bryant. It's just not It's physically impossible for him to do some stuff. All right. Let's move on. Uh, this is where I sort of dropped out, and you had some more ideas about these categories. First one is the most improved defensive area. Yeah, so the most improved defensive area this year, I think, is going to be the run defense, which you could pick anything because it was all a disaster last last year. But I think that this healthy stuff onto it, if they can keep the guys healthy with Cam, of course. You got Jay Wobble, Hargrave, and Alulu back. And, uh, and I do like Bud. And TJ Watt setting the edge this year and just some of the strategy that we're going to have to use and knowing that we don't have Ryan Shazier to run sideline to sideline. I think that this run defense is going to be improved and particularly because the pass defense, I think there's still going to be a little bit of trouble there because we have question marks at pass rusher and we don't know who the free safety is. But I do think that run defense will be a focus of the Steelers coaching staff in training camp to make sure that we at least batten down that hatch. And I think we got players to do it. So um, I actually think our safety is going to be locked down this year. We have nine of them, count of nine. And I think that fierce competition is going to hone that knife to a, sh- to a shiny, sharp edge. And I'm looking forward to much more lockdown. Next area, most improved offensive area. Situational play calling, dude. It's got to get better, man. This is the reason why they fired Todd Haley, who did way more good than bad when he was in Pittsburgh. I don't even have to go into that. I mean, his help in transforming Ben into the pocket passer that he is now is enormous. His play calling, his play design is unbelievable. His ability to get the ball to Le'Veon and AB every game, despite 
the teams only focusing on those guys to stop them. But man, those red zone brain farts in the fourth and short over and over again, repeated failures. Obviously we all think of the pitch to Le'Veon <laughs> in the Jaguars game. And we think of uh, the, the, the design quarterback run with Michael Vick with no lead blocker against the Ravens a couple of years ago in that nightmare. But uh, I wanted to say red zone, but I think that the Steelers will keep going on fourth and short as well. And hopefully um, Feetner doesn't overthink it, you know, and he just hands the ball to Lev or does a simple play action. I don't think you need to get cute when you have the players just to overpower other teams. Yeah, it'll be really curious. And I think it'll be better this year. That's why they fired. That's what Rooney said, you know. Everybody thinks they can do better than a boss until they get the job. Um, living proof of that. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, let's move into – let's go to the negative because it's always fun. Defensive area yeah. in trouble. Yeah, the deep pass defense. I think you're going to see more 50-yard bomb touchdowns this year. It was a nightmare last year. I think the Steelers – Somehow we're only second worst at the Texans, but over the last half of the season, I believe the Steelers were the worst in giving up 50-yard touchdowns. It was happening once or twice a game. If you remember the Texans and the – or not the Texans, the Titans had some. The Packers with Brett Huntley had two of them. And these are breakdowns, like guys wide open. I think that there's going to be some difficulty with those deep pass defenses because we still got to figure out this free safety thing. and We don't really have a guy who has the range – um, you know, Sean Davis, I just don't know if he has the processing, even though he does have some of the athleticism. I think that the short pass defense will be better because I think you got some athletic dogs out there. But the deep stuff, I think we're still going to see some 50-yard touchdowns, although not as many as last year. Well, this whole communication breakdown is such BS. There, you have an entire season. That, that is, that's a code word for coaching. That's what I think. Did you hear what James I, said? Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I think James Harrison was referring to. Communications was a code word. He, for the players who didn't want to criticize the coaches. No, he said explicitly that sometimes two different play calls. But Harrison was off the team. I'm talking, right. I'm saying the Steeler players would not, they kept characterizing it as a communications breakdown because they couldn't criticize their bosses. But as I just mentioned, everybody can do their boss's job better. Right, and if you're Ben or AB or Le'Veon, you can criticize the bosses all you want because if they fire you, they're not Bill Belichick. They're going to lose. <laughs> Only Bill Belichick can really fire his stars, and actually, that was his undoing. And if he played Malcolm Butler, there's a great reason to believe they would have won that Super Bowl. I digress, but what you're, what you're saying is right. You know, Those defensive players, aren't, uh, they don't have the standing to criticize their bosses, and uh, that, that's terrifying. I mean... They haven't gotten it right yet. I don't know how they're going to, but with just the visible disaster that we still, that Jacksonville playoff game is the only thing you can think about from last season. In yeah, a certain so, way. Cornell, so hopefully that prioritizes. I mean, Cornell Lake is gone, but, uh, but is still there. So that's the man calling the plays. So let's move on to our last category. Offensive areas in trouble. So we know that the wide receiver depth is pretty glaring. We talked about that before. It's a little top-heavy. You lost Marty. You're probably going to lose Eli. We're just hoping that Marcus Tucker kind of emerges because the rest of the guys are just nobodies. But I think the bigger area is that offensive line depth. I mean, it was such a blessing having Chris Hubbard last year who played over half the season for Gilbert and uh, did a great job. Right, So now you have totally unproven guys backing him up. Matt Filer, who's never really played in the NFL, is probably going to have to be there. Um, Keeping Ben upright is priority number one. 
we've gotten really lucky with keeping the offensive line healthy the past few years. That's kind of a rarity. Um, so that's the one thing you got to worry about. And I hope your prediction of Diamond in the Rough is right and Chucks steps it up. But uh, you, you miss, I mean, BJ Finney's still there. So I, I'm not quite He is, that's great, are. but he's not a tackle. If you lose a tackle, you, you don't even have a guy who's ever really played more than a snap or two in a game, ever. Yeah. I'm fine on the interior with Finney. Okay, there yeah. you have it. So the Super Bowl next year is February 3rd. I'm wonder. I'm guessing that these uh, the announcements, at least some of these official rankings about most improved player, will come out a couple weeks after that. So listen to us on February. Let's call it the 18th. That's when we're going to report yeah. back on our prognostications from this evening and see how well or how poorly we did. So as I said, we're going to yeah, be we'll still be drunk on the 11th from celebrating the big Steelers victory, and then it won't be so. I'm looking forward to that after the Steelers win the Super Bowl this year. At that point, you it'll ease the pain of Le'Veon leaving. You know, like he he gets etched into the Steelers lore forever, leading us to a victory, probably unrightfully, you know, stealing the MVP from Ben, sort of like Santonio did. Although, you know, I can't hate on them for that decision. But regardless, it's going to be a good time. It might change and we will his come mind. Back and s- yeah, anyway, I'll be like, you know what? I love the Super Bowls. So surprisingly we are 36 minutes into this podcast and we still have another topic and i'm curious to know where this where you came up with this where did you even read about this former steelers player oh i can't remember you know it might have been our friend um pittsburgh at pittsburgh sports that uh dude on twitter who does an amazing job with steelers history he does tons of interviews with uh old steelers players coaches kind of current guys or dudes from different era has an awesome grasp more than anyone else really um on Twitter that I've seen in terms of kind of putting Steelers history into perspective, but this guy should really, I felt ashamed for not knowing this guy who we're about to talk about for more than one reason. Number one, because he is the reason why the Steelers became the greatest dynasty of all time. And number two, he should have been a leading man in Hollywood because this guy was born for stardom. You guys know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Dick Shiner. Dick Shiner, quarterback, Pittsburgh Steelers, 1969. Our quarterback was Dick Shiner, and he was the quarterback in 1969. And he led us to a 1-13 record, which tied us with the Chicago Bears for the worst record in football. We then had a coin flip at a hotel, if I remember correctly, to see who would get the number one pick. We won the coin flip. Took Terry Bradshaw from LA Tech. He sucked. And then eventually he became amazing. And the Steelers won four Super Bowls. And uh, it's really thanks to Dick Shiner for leading us to that 113 record. So He's a legend. Dick Shiner, Dick Shiner was the precipice or the, the stepping stone to what turned out to be the number one dynasty in all of NFL history. You may have even known some of the players who were in that, uh, in that era. Dick Hoke was a star halfback. With 531 yards, mark that number. That was a star halfback. But you, <laughs> Roy, Roy Jefferson, wide receiver, had over 1,000 yards receiving. And it's the year when John Cole nice. and Terry Hanratty entered the scene. And believe it or mm. not, Andy, Andy Russell and Ray Mansfield were in their fifth season with the Steelers at that time. Hanratty started five games that season, but it was Dick Shiner who led the team out of the tunnel for the other nine games. 
Surprisingly, Shiner led the Steelers on opening day to what would be their only win of the season, a 16-13 pasting of the Detroit Lions. That season, he threw for, wait for it, 1,422 yards. He completed 46% of his passes, and he went seven touchdowns and 10 interceptions. But I'll tell you Thank what. Thank you for your service, Mr. Shiner. This, this is a guy you can love because according to Wikipedia, Shiner came out of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, a school storied for its many athletes, including two NFL players, Kerry Collins, NFL quarterback from 1990, oh, wow. and Jared Odrick, who was an NFL defensive end uh, 2006. And I don't know if you know this, Nick, but Sam Bowie, mm. he's a basketball player who went, who went to Kentucky, for one of the big seven-footers he played against Ralph Sampson, if that name rings a bell. I'm sure some of our fans do remember that Titan that Titan duo who played each other at a Capital Classic in Pittsburgh, which I observed, by the way, two tall guys who weighed 72 pounds each. It was just a classic. Anyway, I digress. He went to Lebanon, PA. He played at Maryland. By the way, everybody at Maryland at that time came from Pennsylvania. He was the only quarterback to beat Penn State in like 38 years. Woo! Yeah, did it in his sophomore year. He's a legend. He was drafted by the Redskins in the seventeenth in the seventh round, and uh, he would play for six teams in his eleven-year career. But he backed up such Hall of Famers as Saint Sonny Jorgensen and Fran Tarkington, our victim in two Super Bowls. Sweet. <laughs> so well, I'll just wrap this up, telling you he had a couple of notable statistics. As I said, only went against Penn State in college, but he was playing for the Falcons in nineteen seventy-three. When Dick Shiner registered the first recorded perfect quarterback rating, playing against the Saints, what? he completed 13 of 15 pass attempts for 227 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. And the irony of ironies, the sadness of sadness. The next week, he registered a 0.0 against Atlanta when he was 0 for 9. That drunk is stupid. There's no way to go through life, son. Precisely. Anyway... I will have a link to a YouTube interview with him about that game, that storied game at Maryland when they beat Penn State. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to love this guy. He's a classic old guy, and I'll credit to him. So, hey, and you that, know what? We just were yeah, here. Yeah. We're going to try and bring a little bit more attention to some Steelers back in history. Again, shout I think it was at Pittsburgh Sports. I'm not sure. Somebody shared it. I'm sorry if it was somebody else. But... All we're here to do is tell you that Dick Shiner does not get the respect he deserves, and I won't stand for it anymore. So here you go. The man, he, he had an illustrious career, basically springboarding the Steelers into the greatest dominance the world has ever seen in sports history. So there's your little history lesson for the day, and I, I think that's all we got. Unless you got anything else. Thank you, Dick Shiner. We appreciate you. And we appreciate you, our listeners. We do this podcast each week even in the off-season, and we made it to 45 minutes this time. And if you haven't subscribed, please do it through your app. Please tell somebody else about the podcast. And we're asking you to give us some feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. You have your own top five improved players. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on the blog at SteelersOutpost.com or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week. After we get started with training camp, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Let's stay healthy, okay? Bye-bye.
There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <laughs> 